welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, January 16th, we're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. In today's text, St. Paul speaks about the treasure that God has placed in jars of clay, thereby showing that the power belongs to him and not to us. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Merritt Demsky. Pastor Demsky serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. Pastor Demsky, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be here. So we get started today, Pastor Demsky, help us with some context. What should we know about this epistle and what Paul's been saying leading up to our section in chapter 4? So Paul is writing again to the Corinthians. He's encouraging them. Uh, we'll get to a point where he's kind of defending himself and from people who have come trying to uh, be super apostles, but uh, he has been pointing out that people don't always see how glorious Paul is, and that's a good thing, uh, that he wants to point to the glory of God and Christ Jesus and uh, to Jesus who is the image of God. And so uh, he is picking up on that discussion that he began in chapter four and will keep on going through in chapter five. All right, very good. So we have a key section of the epistle today, this thought of the glory, where it comes from, who has it, can you see it or not? All of this comes into play as we take a look at this text from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we pick up here, beginning at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that, as grace extends more to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is our text for today. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. So, Pastor Dembski, the image that Paul brings up here in verse 7 is treasure in jars of clay. Help us see the picture and what Paul's using to proclaim here. Yeah, so when we first hear him say we have this treasure in jars of clay, the first thing we ask is, what treasure? What's the referent that he's 
using to say, but we have this treasure. Well, in verses one through six, he's talked about the glory of God in Christ Jesus. He has talked about uh, the light of God shining in our hearts, uh, pointing to Christ, who is the image of God. And <clears throat> so he's talking about this treasure of Christ and his glory that dwells within us. We talk about the spirit dwelling in us. Um, and so he's using this image of a jar of clay, which is super appropriate. He's not talking about a an ornate vase that you might see or vase, depending on who's <laughs> saying it. You know, he, uh, uh, he's not talking about some ornate, beautiful jar that happens to be made out of clay. He's talking about just a little bit of pottery. And since we are ourselves made of dirt we are made of the dust he's talking about us in these not ornate just a jar that you would use for storage and you'd look at it and not think anything impressive just like you wouldn't open your tupperware cabinet and look and say oh man look at that tupperware it's beautiful and like really take joy in the tupperware itself or the pyrex you are delighting in what is inside of it and the food, the whatever it is that you're storing in it. And so he uses that same image to say, that's what we are. We're just these jars of clay. And we are here to show the surpassing power um, of God so that it's not us that's getting this, uh, the acclaims and the accolades, but it's God himself. And we hear him say these kind of things, you know, in First Corinthians 3, he talks about um, how God's spirit dwells within us. And so this image of God dwelling in us and our whole life, our whole being, our whole purpose is not to uh, point to ourselves, which we hear at various times in scripture. Don't go just being all about being ornate and beautiful looking, but that we give glory to God in what we say and do. And so he's, he's beginning this section and pointing out that the, the focus is not on himself, but it's on um, his own weakness, which points to Christ's glory. So as thinking through where Paul has been has been in this epistle so far, especially in chapter, well, throughout the four and a half chapters we've already read, he has especially been defending his apostleship to the Corinthians, telling them that although he may not seem as glorious as the super apostles, although he may not have a written letter of recommendation, his, his ministry is in fact authentic, given by God. He is there to proclaim the true glory, which is found in Christ. So when he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, I mean, certainly he's including himself and those who proclaim the gospel as, as the called ministers of Christ, the apostles, pastors still. Is he, or is he talking about all people as well? How, who's, the, who's the we in this passage? Well, it seems like it jumps around a little bit because he goes on to talk about things that he specifically has experienced. And so he and his traveling companions as they have brought the gospel. But we can see the the broader application that all of us who proclaim Christ, whether we're talking about pastors specifically in the office of holy ministry or we're talking about um, the Christian who uh, shares Christ with his family and friends, that we all are the ones who have Christ dwelling in us. And so as we experience suffering or persecution as we share the gospel. The focus is always on Christ being proclaimed and the glory of God being seen rather than just having people look at us and say, wow, look at that guy. Look at all that he's doing. Look how amazing he is. And we see this constantly in the scriptures as God makes sure that the people that are doing his work and will know that it's not their doing. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you have, um, 
You have uh, the battle of Jericho showing that it's God's might that takes down the city. You have Gideon that God keeps on whittling down the people who would go into battle to show that it's God's glory that brings them the victory. You got David and Goliath. You have the 185,000 Assyrians during Hezekiah's reign that are just wiped out overnight by God so that the glory of God is seen rather than our own works or our own um, our own personality in the midst of it, that the messengers of God truly relay God in every aspect of who they are, not just their words, but the fact that everything they experience relays the glory of God and points that out more than anything. Talk a little bit more about why it's important for for both the messengers of the gospel as as pastors, also the hearers of the gospel, the congregations, who then would share that gospel in their daily vocations as well. Talk about the importance of, of realizing that we're the jars of clay and that the treasure is, I mean, it's not about us, but it's about the message that we're given to proclaim. Why is that an important thing for us, all Christians, keep in mind? Because at least a small portion of our society has a difficult time with pride. <laughs> and, like we, we always want everything to revolve around us. And as soon as we start thinking that it's about us and how we can make ourselves look amazing in the midst of it, we start to lose our focus on Christ. And so uh, whether we're talking about the church um, broadly like this or that congregation, or we're talking about ourselves as we individually share Christ. We always want to remember that we are not the point, that the message of Christ is the point. And that doesn't mean we we do stuff foolishly. It doesn't mean we do stuff uh, without care, that we just say, well, the building's falling apart. That doesn't matter. Um, or that we say the only way that people are going to hear Christ is if we follow this or that programmatic way of proclaiming the gospel, but that we'd always remember that the message itself is always the point that no matter what is happening, that we are building our everything is a jar of clay. And the whole point of any of it is to bring glory to God, that everything about us would relay the death and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And that uh, he is the one that has the power, not us, because otherwise, you know, we think about the Proverbs of um, uh, a haughty you know, haughtiness leads to destruction and pride before the fall and all that kind of stuff. As soon as we start thinking, um, boy, I'm so glad I'm a great speaker. I'm so glad that I'm really good at rhetoric and I can really argue people into the faith or something like that. It's we're reminded, no, it's actually God working through you. You're just, you're just the Tupperware in this situation. (laughs) You know, you are, you are bringing the message of the gospel, um, which I'm trying to think where Paul uses or says something like this, but we never, um, we never get food from someone and praise the doggy bag. You know, like we're, we're not like, boy, thank you so much for this Tupperware. It's incredible. We're always like, thank you for this meal that it came in. And we, we give glory to the person that sent it to us and gave it to us rather than the Tupperware itself that it came in. That, that's right. Okay. So, so the treasure is in the jars of clay. That shows that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Uh, something that the Lord does uh, all over the place in the scriptures, and we could even connect it to the way he speaks in First Corinthians chapter 1 about preaching Christ crucified, though it looks like weakness and foolishness, it truly is wisdom, power of God for salvation to those who believe. So this is, this is the way that God works in history, is to put treasure in jars of clay, and that's a reminder that the power belongs to him and not to us. So as, as Paul experiences this, he goes back and forth a couple times with a, this is what happened, but not to a certain, not to the fullest extent. So 
he starts in verse eight, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Take us into that, that first distinction. Yeah. So he's, uh, that word afflicted, when you look at it, has to do with pressure being applied. So you'd see that kind of word used in connection with grapes being crushed to make wine, that kind of thing. So it's not just, I'm having a difficult time, but you picture the pressures of life caving in on you, that he's afflicted, he's experiencing pressure, uh, he's being pressed, but he's not crushed in the midst of all the, and I know uh, right now, a lot of people like to watch those videos online of hydraulic presses crushing things, you know? Yeah. And so you, 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 you think of um, uh, Paul experiencing all this pressure, all this crushing weight of the, the, the persecution that he experiences, the people pushing back against the gospel and all these kind of things. But in the midst of all that pressure, all that affliction, he says, I'm not crushed. So I haven't been depleted of what's in me. The spirit of God hasn't been pushed out of me in the midst of what I've suffered, but I am still here. I am still proclaiming. I have not been destroyed. I haven't been crushed, um, expelling everything that's within me. Mm, yeah, that's a pretty remarkable one to start with, especially with the image of a a, a jar of clay. Yeah, I mean, depending, I guess... I suppose of what kind of clay jar you're picturing, but it doesn't seem like a clay jar would be able to sustain tons of pressure, but it but it does. So and so it's not crushed. So it's a, a very fitting one to start with, to be afflicted, to be pressured, but not crushed. How about the next one? Perplexed. Well, oh, to, to what you were just to what you were just saying. I mean, think about what a, a jar a clay jar usually is. It's usually a prop for destruction. Like right. if you, if you, if you look at any movie or cartoon, like you're going to have a moment where a jar, a clay jar is going to be there to show the, the, the foolishness of someone and dropping it or bumping into it and causing it to break. Cause we usually picture it being something that is very fragile and easy to destroy. Yeah, that's right. And so that, that's what Paul uses first, that we're not, we, we may be pressured, afflicted, but we're not crushed. We're not actually destroyed. Then he says, we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Take us into that one. So perplexity, you have this picture of someone standing, not knowing which way to go. Um, and we talk about this all the time today with decision fatigue. We've got 25,000 different streaming services, and every one of them has 50,000 bajillion movies in it. And we have no idea which way to go. We're perplexed. Um, and we're just with uh, TV stations, whatever, but um, in life as a whole, we might have various opportunities or um, various uh, um, options presented to us. And that perplexity is that no idea which way to go. But he says in the midst of that perplexity, those times where he's sat there thinking, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this situation. In the midst of the perplexity, he says he's not driven to despair. So he's not driven to this point of hopelessness and sorrow that he can't make it through. Um, he's just simply acknowledging that there are times of perplexity. There's times of not knowing what to do. But even in those times, there is a peace. You know, we usually talk about the difference between anxiety and peace, that that word anxiety has to do with being split in multiple directions rather than unified. And peace has to do with being a whole and together. Every piece of the puzzle is in the right place when we talk about peace. And so he uh, is saying that he's not driven to despair in the midst of all of it. Mm, yeah, that that's a striking thing to to consider Paul not being sure what to do, not knowing which way to go. When you read his epistles, it seems like Paul always knows what to do and what to say, but it's a good reminder that that he too 
is a, a sinner in need of forgiveness, and he maybe didn't always know the, the right way to, to think through things or to, to act in a certain situation. I, I don't know, it's just not the normal picture I have of Paul himself. I, I have no problem seeing myself as a perplexed person sometimes, uh, but, right. but Paul, that's not the way I usually picture him, but that's, I, it's, it's encouraging to hear that. Well, I, I can't remember where it is, but where does Paul say, I might not have been an impressive speaker, but I write yeah. to you now, you know, and so you think, okay, maybe we, we always picture Paul being such a great orator and standing up and keeping a crowd captive in his speech. And yet maybe he was, had a difficult time articulating things at times, but he could write it really well. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So, okay. So perplexed, but not driven to despair. Then the next one coming in verse nine, persecuted, but not forsaken. So you have this picture of being attacked or harmed. What we usually picture with persecution, whoever's persecuted, whether it's in a, in words or deeds, but in the midst of that persecution, he's not forsaken. It's that same idea as being abandoned. It's that word that Christ calls out from the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? But Christ was uh, forsaken for Paul's sake. Um, so Paul knows he's not abandoned. Even though he's facing persecution, he knows that in Christ he has um he has God with him. And so he knows that even if the whole world is wanting to stone him and beat him and cast him out, Christ is still with him. His spirit still dwells in him. Mm, all right. So not it's persecuted, but not forsaken. This is something, that word forsaken there, as you think about Christ on the cross, he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As mm -hmm. Pastor uh, Brian Wolfmuller pointed this out to me not that long ago, that when you look at the prayers that Jesus speaks from the cross, there's that one about being forsaken. He also prays, uh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he prays for the forgiveness of those who are, who are there not knowing what they're doing. When you look at the account of Stephen in, in Acts chapter 7 and his dying, he repeats two of those prayers about forgiving those who are doing this to him, and also committing himself into this into the hands of Jesus, but he doesn't say the prayer about why have you forsaken me? Because mm -hmm. because Christ was forsaken on the cross, we as Christians don't have to be afraid that we will be forsaken. We're not because Christ has been for us. Yeah, I mean that's our big comfort knowing. And thank you for saying. I knew when I said Father, Father, I'm like that doesn't sound right. But I couldn't think of the right thing. Yeah, my God, my God. That when people think about God, oftentimes they just think of an abstract force or entity somewhere, you know, but through Christ, we have um, God revealed to us and he reveals exactly who he is for us, that he's the one who does not forsake us as his son covers us. So Christians actually have this strength to stand boldly and say, I am a Christian in the face of persecution, knowing that God doesn't forsake them, even though, even as the world does. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So forsake, sorry, uh, persecuted, but not forsaken, right. then the next one, struck down, but not destroyed. And this one, I don't know, I picture this very physically, visibly of Paul being beaten, Paul being stoned. He is struck down, he is attacked and knocked to the ground, but he's not destroyed. It's not like he's shattered all over the place so that he cannot stand back up again. He remains intact. Um, and again, it's not because, and his whole point here is, be, not because he is some mighty jar that is strong, but that he's just this clay jar. But why is all this possible? Because of the Spirit of God dwelling in him, because of Christ dwelling in him and giving him strength. 
he can say these things boldly, pointing to the glory of God. Mm, yeah. So, okay, struck down but not destroyed. Uh, in terms of just those, all of those as a whole, uh, afflicted, not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. Maybe just kind of like as as a whole, what's what's the picture that Paul says as he goes around and as we go around with as jars of clay, but having this treasure, just kind of put those together for us. Well, you have this picture of fragility and yet strength. So you've got this, all these things can come against me, but they won't overcome me. That when we think about Christ overcoming death and the fact that he promises that we will as well, that as we face these things, um, they might hurt, they might cause problems, which is really interesting when it gets to the end, but we'll get there when we, well, get to the end, you know, like that um, all these things that we face, uh, we face it only through the strength of Christ. We're able to stand up in the midst of um, being afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, but those things don't get the final say. Those things don't have the final weight against us. Hmm. All right. So he has those various contrasts. And then as he moves on, still still talking about the same thing, he says in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What is he saying here? So you see death very easily. You see blood pouring out from Paul's skin as he's beaten or stoned. You can see death and the evidence of death, but that evidence of death carrying around Jesus' death in the body um, also relays the life of Jesus as we know that this body will be healed, it'll be restored, it'll be resurrected. And so even as we carry around this body of death, as it reminds us of Jesus' persecution and death for us, the life of Jesus is also made visible in our bodies as we continue to go, as we continue to um, move knowing that Christ uh, helps us and strengthens us in the midst of what's going on. His spirit dwells in us, giving us what we need. It, it's, it's striking, you know, that we're carrying in the body the death of Jesus. I'd, I'd rather carry in my body the resurrection of Jesus, which, I mean, I know right. this, is all, this all goes together, but it, it's, it's just striking how, and this gets ahead of, of where we are in the epistle, but over and over again in this epistle, Paul talks about this matter of, of his sufferings and the sufferings that those who are, who are Christians also experience, and this is what he ends up boasting in, rather than, I mean, rather than in the, the quote, the victories or the, the resurrection. And obviously the resurrection is part and parcel to everything that he's talking about here, as we're, as we're going to see. But it is striking that he, he keeps emphasizing the way that it's the death of Jesus, as, as he says here, that's made manifest. And that, that's what you really need to, to see and to understand to really get Paul and his ministry, and indeed to get Christians in the Church. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't like thinking about it, but I mean, Jesus says in John 15, they'll persecute you as they persecuted me. And if they're coming against me, they're going to come against you. And Paul writes in Philippians 3 that we have this fellowship of suffering that as we suffer, we become like him in his death. So as we suffer, people see that suffering and it reminds them of Jesus' suffering and death. So as we face suffering, as we face persecution, it actually makes us think of Jesus all the more rather than our uh, uh, being pushed away thinking maybe God doesn't care about me. It ultimately 
reminds us that, wait, what I'm experiencing right now is exactly what Jesus experienced. I always think in times like this, um, uh, when things seem to backfire on the devil, you know, that he would say, well, I'm going to do this and really lead this person astray. And we say, no, I'm going to look to Jesus even more. I always think of that scene from Pilgrim's Progress where uh, Christian is seeing what's happening inside of himself. And he sees a a moment where the devil is throwing water on a fire in this big fireplace. And every time the devil throws water, the fire gets bigger and he's very confused. And his guide leads him around the other side. And on the other side, Christ keeps throwing oil every time the devil's throwing the water. And so the devil's getting frustrated trying to throw water on the fire, but it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And for us as Christians, even when we face suffering, we get to remember, oh yeah, Jesus suffered too. Well, the people aren't listening to what I'm saying. Yeah, the chief people didn't listen to what Jesus said either. Well, these people are being terrible to me and causing me bodily harm. Yeah, they did that to Jesus too. Thank you, Lord, because I'm remembering what's happening to me is what happened to you. And it's because I am a Christian, because I am following you that I face this suffering. But um, that makes, you know, it's a good thing we have more to read. Otherwise, we'd say, this doesn't sound like a good life of a Christian. <laughs> like, boy, we go through it every day, and yet we rejoice in all circumstances. And that's Paul's point at other places. We rejoice no matter what's going on, because we're either reminded that we're going to, we are blessed by God and we'll be raised up, or we're reminded that for our sake, Christ suffered as we suffer. Mm, yeah. So well, let's, I just want to put this out there for, we're coming cl- close to our break, but as, as you were talking and, you know, the, the role of the, the devil in this, I'm reminded of a couple chapters ago where Paul says, we don't want to be outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant of, of his design. So we need to be, be careful. And certainly the devil would uh, delight to see us, you know, persecuted, afflicted, all, all these th- struck down, all the things that, that Paul mentions. At the same time, though, we also know from the scriptures that the Lord does test our faith. He refines us. He allows even sin suffering at times. And so I guess, how do you, and again, I know we're coming up on a break, but maybe just get us started on this conversation. How do we, how do we live in that tension, knowing that the devil's attacking us and we want to resist him, also recognizing that the Lord was going to use suffering for our good? Uh, faithfully. There you go. No, I'm just kidding. Fantastic. <laughs> so, that's, a, maybe, that's a good way to, to start. We want to live faithfully. <laughs> so I'll, yeah. we'll, we'll take the break. We can think about it over the break and then come back and talk about it a little bit more. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking to Pastor Merritt Dembski this morning about 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, January 16th. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-18 to 18 with Pastor Merritt Dembski. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. Pastor Dembski, prior to the break, we were talking about this matter of the devil, his work in attacking us, but also then the way that the Lord uses our sufferings and sometimes even sends our sufferings for the sake of testing and and refining our faith. And how do we live in that tension? You said faithfully, which is a good answer. So help us expand on that a little bit now. Yeah, so when we live in this tension, we're always remembering that God doesn't tempt us away from him, but the devil certainly wants to. And so when we face testing at times, uh, when we face difficult times, we are always drawn back to the cross of Christ. We're always brought back to our knees in prayer. We're always brought back to saying, Lord, help us to walk faithfully through this situation. I don't know why it's happening. I can't see behind the curtain of what's happening in this circumstance, but I know that you've said all things happen to the good, um, uh, all things work together for the good of those who are called in Christ. You know, that we've got this uh, idea that God is always strengthening us, disciplining us. And so we we see even the devil's attempts to tempt us and draw us away, ultimately force us back to the Lord and ultimately force us back to him, praying, Lord, help us in the midst of the the difficulties we face and the trials we face. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, this is there's a number of hymns that, that talk about this, that the way the Lord uses suffering and we trust him still. And, and that goes back, I think, to the first verse of our section, that the treasure is in a jar of clay. And so when we are feeling these pressures, when we're feeling the persecution, we, we look to that treasure, not to our own strength, not to our own ability to stand. And in that way, then, the Lord does strengthen our faith through these sufferings. Not that we necessarily want them, but that we can boast in them. We can, as Paul will do later in this epistle, we can rejoice in them. Uh, we can we can be content and comforted in them because we know that that's not a sign, again, that the Lord's forsaken us, uh, but rather he's He's drawing us even closer to himself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as, as Paul continues then into verse 11, he's, he said in verse 10, we're carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Uh, take us into that next verse. Yeah, um, I'd like to lump together verse 12 with that, that he says, so death is at work in us, but life in you, kind of wrapping up what he's saying here. So as he's talking about carrying the in the body the death of Jesus, he says this for or therefore, um, all of this that we experience, you know, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So for Jesus' sake, to confess him, we are being given over to these afflictions and persecutions and perplexity for his sake, so that the life of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So um, we experience this death stuff. And he says in verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. So what you see us experiencing, it is also um, bringing Jesus life to you. You are seeing 
the, the hope of the resurrection as we continue to persevere. You continue to see the hope we have in Christ in our mortal flesh. And on the last day, you're going to see that resurrection um, with your very own eyes. Um, so we are, we're always being given over to the death, sorry, given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So you, you see the reality of Jesus' strength and encouragement by his spirit in us, and um, that the death and resurrection of Jesus would be proclaimed, and that it'll be, um, it's all worth it for what they are proclaiming as these jars that are experiencing all of this. Yeah, it, as as you connect verse twelve to that, where he says, "Death is at work in us, but life in you." That would be a, a place where I would see the us more specifically speaking about Paul and the apostles, the proclaimers of the gospel, and the you referring more to the Corinthians. So that uh, what what Paul goes through in his sufferings ends up being for the benefit of his hearers. Uh, similarly, right. back in chapter one, where he, he talks about the how it was all for their comfort was the way that he talked about it in chapter one. Here it's for their life. So the the sufferings of the preachers end up being to the benefit of the hearers. Talk a little bit more about that reality. Yeah, so anytime, uh, I, we see this at times in movies where people finally are woken up from their what they're experiencing as they see someone else persecuted and as they see that person living out their faith. Are you... Um, I'm a movie person, so that's where I always jump to first. But um, you you think about uh, accounts of martyrdom where people are being martyred and others end up rallying to it as well. Like people that would not have confessed Christ. Uh, I, I can't remember when or where it was. I always think of a, an account of people kind of being frozen to death. They're out on this lake, they're surrounded, and they just keep on saying, um, you know, 49... Christians for Christ or something like that. They're, they're shouting something, but then one of them leaves, like renounces the faith and escapes the persecution. And one of the surrounding guards walks in and takes his place, like, and begins to confess Christ, like seeing that this is serious. This is really what's, what is actually important enough to die for. Um, or you hear about missionaries that are faithful and, um, uh, they they pass away not having seen much fruit of their ministry, but then someone else comes and the people say, no, actually, we believe it. That guy gave his whole life to, to this must be true, <laughs> you know. And yeah. so as you see that that death, that loss, it wakes people up to say to see that this is most certainly true. It is something that must be seen and believed or must be believed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, this is a reality, certainly in the cases of missionaries and persecution and those very the, those very intense forms of persecution, and, and even in the maybe less intense forms of persecution, where there's there's pressure, say, uh, put on to put on a pastor to to bend the 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 word of God in some way, shape, or form, and, and he he suffers for it. That strengthens the faithful within the congregation to to be faithful themselves to to see that yeah this word of God is is worth holding on to uh, even when the the pressure maybe isn't quite as intense that that same sort of pressure that perhaps the pastor feels uh, as the as the one who kind of stands and as the representative for the whole congregation then that strengthens the whole congregation in their faithfulness to the word of God yeah absolutely so the 
death is at work in us, life in you. Then verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. So before we, and I see 14 is also a part of this thought, but before we get there, Paul says, what has been written, he quotes, what's he, what's he quoting from here? He's quoting Psalm 116, verse 10, and specifically, um, it's amazing when you start digging in and you see uh, the importance of the Septuagint, the Greek translation, and how oftentimes you'll see more direct quotes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament than just the Hebrew Old Testament. Um, but he's quoting Psalm 116, where you've got a lot of talk about affliction and deliverance and a gratitude for the deliverance. And so he's, uh, you see this a lot of times of a little quote that you have to have the whole context. I mean, we in our day are used to seeing like a bumper sticker quote or a Twitter quote. And we think, oh, that's the wholeness of the quote that we're saying. But ultimately, when you see this in scripture or in the church fathers, they might quote a tiny little thing, but it's to draw your attention to the entirety of the thing that they are quoting. And so this is why it's so important to, to have the scripture more in our mind rather than just the ability to whip out a Bible verse completely out of context, but to be able to, to read entire chapters of scripture so that all of a sudden someone makes a quote, uh, you know, brings up a quote and you get the idea of what they're pulling from. And we do this in other areas of life. You think about memes on the internet. Someone uses a single picture from a show um, or a single GIF, a moving picture, and it, it relays everything about what that person is trying to say, um, which if you don't know uh, pop culture, you don't understand the meme. You know, if something gets sent to you, um, it's meant to be either sarcastic or angry, and you don't get the gist of it because you don't understand what it's being pulled from. And the same thing is true with scripture. We have to, but when we read the Psalms, when we get them in our hearts and minds, when we read the fullness of scripture, we want to be able to hear a quote and be able to do the same thing that we do with any other book. You know, you, you read C.S. Lewis or Lord of the Rings, or you read all these other books, you watch all these shows, and someone just brings up a brief little quote from it. And you get the whole picture. You think of all the different parts of the plot. You think of all the things going on. So here, as Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what was, has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. As he quotes Psalm 116, verse 10, he is bringing to the mind of the hearer and the reader all the affliction that the psalmist experienced and the fact that God delivered them from the affliction, that God deserves all the glory and praise <laughs> <laughs> and so they have this deliverance that they're praising God for. I believed, I've trusted in you, I've held fast to your word. And so I spoke, I praised your name, I glorified you for what you did in bringing me through here. So, so Paul expresses this thankfulness that they all um, express to God for delivering them through time of difficulty. They praise God and they respond and so you have this, it's a great example of applying the Psalms to life um, and praying the Psalms through our confession of Christ, that through Christ, we are ultimately brought through trials and difficulties. And in response to that, we praise his name. I always think of that picture um, that Pastor Whedon used in his, um, his book, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, that he talks about our gathering in the divine service being like a giant boulder on a mountain, you know, falling into a, into a 
forest lake you know the 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 boulder comes down and hits the water and just splashes all over the place and that's our praise god comes to us he delivers us and we praise his name in return Mm, yeah yeah as you were saying the quote from psalm 116 bringing to bear the whole psalm this is a a wonderful psalm in the context and and just i would encourage everyone to go and, and look at this psalm in its entirety to see how well it it fits here. I mean, even just a a couple of verses, you know, you've delivered my soul from death in verse 8. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Even then in verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So these, these matters of persecution that the Lord sometimes allows or sends to his saints are not a small things in his sight. He counts them very costly and precious, and and he does not forsake his saints in the midst of them. And so when he yeah, when Paul just quotes that one verse, like bring to bear the whole psalm, and you can see how I mean, perhaps he's even meditating on this psalm at this point, even though he only quotes from the one verse, the whole thing is providing him strength in, in the midst of this persecution and the, the suffering that he's endured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so an important one for us to, to keep in mind. Now, and, and from the from the quote particularly, then, so I believed, and so I spoke. You know, think about some of the things that, that Paul has talked about. He's, he's, despite the fact that he has endured persecutions, this hasn't prevented him from speaking the gospel. It hasn't led him to, as he said earlier, you know, to peddling the gospel or to speaking uh, in underhanded ways, but rather he's done so boldly, as he said in the first part of the chapter 4, and he'll say again here in a moment, which we'll talk about, we don't lose heart. So these these persecutions don't bind the gospel or silence the gospel, but in fact, uh, Paul only becomes more bold at, to continue to speak, and he does that in verse 14, because he knows that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So here we very clearly have the resurrection providing hope in the midst of all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you think about Jesus in John 14, talking about because I live, you also will live, or um, all the things that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about if there's no resurrection, then you have no hope. You know, if Jesus' body is laying somewhere, then we've got no hope as Christians because Jesus would be dead. But he says Jesus is alive, and therefore we have hope in the resurrection as well, because not just like, oh, I hope it happens, but hope as the sun coming up in the morning, like, oh, the sun's going to come in, in the morning, and that's my hope, my assurance, my comfort, the darkness isn't going to last forever, that kind of picture. But this idea of... Um, the one who raised Jesus will also raise us up. So as we experience what uh, what we face of persecution and perplexity and difficulty, we just keep our eyes looking ahead toward that resurrection, um, knowing that we will reach that point one day. Mm, yeah, and, and just the way that as it's the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us also. Uh, takes me back into chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits. So mm-hmm. because Jesus has been raised from the dead, then we know that we will follow him in that resurrection. And that certainly gives us confidence to face all the, the affliction, the perplexity, the persecution, the, the being struck down, knowing that resurrection is is what awaits us, and having it be certain, because we've seen the resurrection of Jesus, that that certainly provides us strength in the midst of these things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then in verse 15, Paul again says, For it is all for your sake, 
so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Helps into verse 15. Yeah, so knowing that it is all for the, the sake of the people who are hearing, um, he knows that grace is going to go out to more and more people, and therefore pe- more and more people are going to thank God, more and more people are going to give glory to God. So this point that um, everything I face is for you, um, we could just get to a point of woe is me, life is tough. I just We had our pastor meeting yesterday here in Waterloo, and, uh, and I talked about the fact that Jeremiah is actually a, a comforting book, you know, when you think about the persecution he faces, um, that he doesn't just fall into the woe is me forever. I mean, when he writes the book of Lamentations, but it's always going back to the glory of God and always remembering God's faithfulness and all that. But um, we're not promised a nice, easy life. Um, We proclaim Christ. And as we suffer, we share the gospel. And as more people receive the gospel, as more are brought to faith, that only increases the the voices giving thanks to God and glorifying him. So all of this is... um, all this talk about being a, a fragile jar of clay, but giving glory to God. Well, all the things that this jar of clay experiences, this man of dirt and dust experiences, all of it is just emphasizing the life of Jesus and the hope of Jesus that much more. And therefore, um, uh, we get to, to share with the sufferings of Christ and with the life of Christ so that more people praise him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the verse 15, again, also provides great hope for the Christian in the midst of suffering. Paul then in verse 16 repeats what he had said previously in this chapter. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Help us into that verse. Yeah. Um, Our bodies are frail. They fade away. But we do renew uh, our the, our inside, the, what God has given to us in our spirit is renewed day by day until the day that our body is renewed and made new in the resurrection. And so we don't lose heart. Uh, we think back to earlier when he said, um, we, oh, how did he say it? He said, uh, we are not driven to despair. You know, we don't lose heart. We're not driven to despair. But... Uh, as our body wastes away, which we all see. I mean, even if you try to eat as healthy as possible, even if you try to um, manage your your diet and your exercise and all that kind of stuff, our body is still frail. Our body still fails us, but we don't lose heart. Um, And in the face of persecution, we don't lose heart. Even as our body wastes away in the midst of suffering, um, we know that Christ continues to renew his spirit within us every day as we pray, as we hear his word, um, as we as we give, as we fast, that he is the one who strengthens us and grants us strength and peace. Mm, Absolutely. So we do not lose heart, our outer self wasting away, inner self being renewed day by day. Verse 17, another contrast. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So on the one hand, you've got light versus a weight, You've got momentary versus eternal, and you've got affliction versus glory. Yeah, I mean, th- think about that. He says that they're facing affliction and perplexity and persecution and being struck down. 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. And in the light of that and all that we talk about of the suffering and the extent of that suffering, he gets to verse 17 and says, eh, but this light momentary, temporary difficulty, this affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So that idea of weight, um, of weightiness, importance of God's glory beyond all comparison. You think back to Romans 8, where he says um, that... Uh, the, the suffering we face now is nothing compared to the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And so all these troubles, these pressures, which is the same word when he says affliction, it's the same, all these pressures, all this affliction that they face um, is nothing to be compared. It's light. So he, he draws a comparison. You think of all the suffering we focused on. You, you think about all the ways we've talked about his pain and difficulty and he just says, oh, yeah, all that light stuff, all this this temporary difficulty um, is just preparing us for the wonder of God's glory and weight and might. Yeah, yeah. And and again, that that comparison there, I think, is a helpful one that it to know that what we go through now is light and momentary again. And that's not to to diminish it. Suffering still hurts. But to have that that perspective in our minds as we go through it, I think is is absolutely helpful to us, so that we don't that we don't again lose sight of what is coming that that resurrection that awaits us on the last day. Yeah, it's hard not to get zoomed in on the, the this moment of the timeline. If you picture a big timeline being laid out, and you just get this magnifying glass and zoom in on one point of the timeline. But when we read scripture, we hear things like this from Paul, it helps us to step back and get the broader picture of everything and go, boy, that is just a little moment. I mean, we do this at other times where we we face great suffering and sometimes we look back at it and laugh, you know, in some way, or we look back and go, oh, I'm so glad that was only temporary. It was like eight months and it was horrible in the midst of it. But yeah, out of the grand scheme of things, that was like nothing. I don't even remember it now, <laughs> you know, like um, that we, we get to see the whole broad picture. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So our section then concludes with this this idea of looking. So verse 18, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Yeah, so today's sufferings, all the weight of it is light compared to what is going to come, as we've been saying. But that emphasis on the things that are seen are temporary. They are uh, transient, as he says. You know, it's always helpful to remember that what we experience right now is like the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness. We're waiting to enter into that promised land of the resurrection. So all the things that we think of that are so important that we just have to have this new thing, we have to have that new thing, this or that has to be absolutely perfect for this or that event or that party. And then we realize it's all temporary. Uh, uh, there was a member in a neighboring congregation that told me a story once that they were working on remodeling her home and she was being very particular about everything and very nitpicky about all the details of it. And the carpenter was a Christian and he finally said at one point, you realize this is all going to burn one day, right? Like you realize that this yeah. is, this is going to be gone. You're, you're expending so much power and energy and my, you know, your mind so much to this, but it's all transient. It's, but the things that are unseen are the things that we have our hope and our comfort in. So we're always looking to what we do not see um, as our hope and our comfort rather than we've got the amenities that we want. We've got the, 
the opportunities that we want. No, we, we need Jesus. That's what we need. We need Christ's promise. We need his resurrection uh, more than anything else. Yeah. Now, with this this verse about the things that are seen being transient and the things unseen eternal, and even the example that you used, I think we, sh- we should be careful that there are things that are seen that God attaches an unseen promise to. And that's a right. I'm talking about sacraments. <laughs> I'm right, talking right, about right. baptism in yeah. the Lord's Supper. So I talk about how those those actually fall into the uh, those go over into the eternal, the the unseen part of this verse. Yeah. So those seen things give us insight into the unseen things. Um, so he gives us comfort and peace that we don't just sit in our room going, I hope God's somewhere around here. I hope that he cares for me. I hope this or that. But no, his word comes to us very tangibly. And he gives us his body and blood and this, the Lord's Supper. He gives us um, his renewal, his washing, his his robe of righteousness as we're washed in baptism. And those things are uh, seen, but they remind us of what Christ has done for us. And they are God delivering to us specifically what he has done for us. And the same thing when we look at our bodies, our bodies are transient, they are temporary, but they will be resurrected. It's not as though our body is nothing. It's not as though our body is not important, but the body that we have right now will be made new, will be swallowed up by life, as Paul says, I think it's in Colossians. And we will be made new. So it doesn't, uh, yeah, we don't want to suggest that there is nothing physical, like everything physical is not important, that we're just hyper-spiritualized or something. Um, But that what we see now in suffering and in persecution, all of the, the blessings that God gives to us, they aren't the important thing. Who do we not see right now? We don't see Jesus standing here. We receive his body and blood in the sacrament, but we don't see him standing there we see our pastor in the stead and by the command of christ forgiving us um but our focus is on what we don't see yet and what we don't see yet is the resurrection of all um, things and the new creation and so uh, all the things that can be taken away we end up looking to the one who will never be taken away from us and who will make himself manifest again Pastor Merritt Demsky is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois. He has been helping us today to study 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Pastor Demsky, thanks for being our guest today. It's great being here. We have this treasure in jars of clay, so that even though we are afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, we are not crushed, driven to despair, forsaken, or destroyed. And that is the case. Because the power belongs not to us, it belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.